Beginning in verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who, who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? I want to speak tonight to what I believe to be the missing link in the teaching of the Christian life. What happens to a Christian who continues to live in sin? He, he professes to receive Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, to be a believer, and yet he continues to live a life of sin. What happens to that kind? What happens to that person? What about that? Now, there are two possible answers, two popular answers to that question. I, I'm not comfortable with these answers, but they are common answers. One is that the person has, was never really saved, that he had an emotional experience or that he had a head belief in Christ. He gave mental assent to the historical, the historicity of Jesus, but he never had a personal relationship with Christ. He never was really saved. The second answer, common answer, is that he is lost. He lost his salvation. That when he became a Christian and he continued and he went into sin... He lost his salvation and is no longer saved. I believe there's a third answer that this text gives, and it's this answer that I believe I am most comfortable with. Although I must admit that there are some things about this answer that I have difficulty with, I believe it's the one that I can, uh, can be most comfortable with. You'll notice in the text that there are three specific distinct persons Verse 14 says, talks about the natural man. The natural man is dominated by the old nature. He is lost. He's a lost man. He is without Christ. He is spiritually dead. The, the scripture describes him as a spiritual corpse. He is separated from God. He is lost. He is without Christ. This is the pre-Christ man, the pre-Christian, the natural man. Verse 15 talks about the second man, talk, calls him the spiritual man. The spiritual man is saved and he's living in fellowship with God. He's under the control of the Holy Spirit. He is a, an active, productive Christian. He possesses the mind of Christ. He has what we described last week as spiritual depth perception. He has a knowledge of the Lord and he is obedient to Christ and he's living a productive life. There is a third person that chapter 3 describes. He describes this third person as a fleshly person, that is, as a carnal man. There are several characteristics about this third person. The first characteristic of him is that he is a Christian. He didn't have an emotional experience, but was not really saved. 
nor has he lost his salvation. He is a Christian. Uh, the reason I say that is twofold. The first reason I say it is because Paul addresses him as brother, brethren, he calls them. It is a Greek term that refers to the, to the common family. The Apostle Paul is talking about this one who is in the family of God with him. He's his brother. He's the same person that he refers to in chapter 1, verse 2, as a saint. That is, one who is set apart, who has the distinct relationship with Jesus Christ. The second reason I say that he's a Christian is the last three words of chapter 3, verse 1. He refers to him as a babe in Christ, or refers to them as babes in Christ. They're babies, they've just been born again, but they're in Christ. And in that uh, term is caught up or involved the, the, the in Christ relationship, all that Christ has, these people possess. The second thing about this a person that's referred to as the fleshly uh, man or the, or the carnal Christian is that he is lacking in his spiritual growth. And he says in verse 2, I'm not able to give you uh, solid food. I'm only able to give you the basics, the milk. The, uh, I, I'm not even able to talk to you except about the basic aspects of the Christian faith. Now, if you've had a baby or have one, that baby begins to cry in the middle of the night. You don't get up, go to feed that child, that baby. Get a T-bone steak out of the refrigerator and slap it on the grill and start feeding it uh, to the baby. Um, you'll warm up that bottle and plug that thing in, you know, and everything's all right. Now, it's not the baby's fault. That's just a part of it. He said, now, there's something I want you to notice that you, 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 you'll have to look at, really um, be watching for to see. He says... In, in chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, that they are fleshly, they are weak. It's not their fault. They're babes in Christ. I mean, you'd expect that of them. But he says in verse 2, you are still this way, and it's a reference to the fact they're still dominated by the old nature, and they've chosen to be like that. They could be different if they wanted to. Now, the first reference is to a condition that they could not avoid. They just had become a Christian. They had not been able to grow. But the second reference is to people who have been saved and they have never grown because they've never chosen to grow. They've never made up their mind to do it. They have neglected to do it. They have chosen to be like they are. They're carnal Christians because they have not gone beyond that. They've not chosen to do it. Third, the carnal life is a life of perpetual conflict and repeated defeat. He said, there are strife and divisions among you. Now, I want to give you a principle tonight. I think you can, you can write down and, and believe as a, as a lifelong principle that what Christians are in fellowship is a reflection of what they are internally, individually. If you find a group of Christians that are always in conflict, always in strife and, 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 and division, you know that it is because within them there is conflict and strife and division. What Christians are in fellowship, they are individually. So wherever you find somebody who's always in conflict with somebody else, always a, a problem between them and someone else, you'll know, you can know that in inside that person is going, there's a conflict, a war going on. So the carnal Christian life is a life of perpetual conflict 
and repeated defeat. Fourth, the carnal Christian resembles a non-Christian. You can't tell the difference between a carnal Christian and a lost man. Now, someone might say to you, well, if a person sincerely believes that what he believes is right, and he's sincere in it, will he not get into the kingdom of God? No. You say, well, a person has this, uh, this uh, degree of understanding and knowledge, and he does his best, and he's sincere in what he believes, he's sincere in what he understands, will he not get into the kingdom of God? No. The only way a person enters the kingdom of God is through Jesus Christ the Lord. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So the only way into the kingdom is to receive Jesus Christ as one's Savior and Lord. Now, he enters in, in salvation, two realms. He enters into a positional realm, and he enters into an experiential realm. Positionally, he is in Christ, and all that Christ has and all that Christ is, is his. This week I shared with a, a young, young teenage uh, girl how to be saved. And, and, and I helped her to see, and, and I think this really turned on the light for her, that when a person confesses his sin, his need of Christ, and invites Jesus into his heart, then, Christ, then God, as it were, turns over to the page of that person's life, takes all of the sin, the wrong, off of that person's page, turns over to the book, in the book, to the page that has Jesus' name, and puts all of her sin on Jesus' page. That's called justification. That's glorious in itself. That's not all that happens. God takes all the righteousness that is listed, all the goodness that is listed on the page that has Jesus' name on it. He takes that off of that page, turns over to the page that has her name on it, puts His righteousness there. So that what God, that's called sanctification. So that what God does in salvation is to take all of our sin and put it on Jesus, take all of His righteousness and put it on us. That's the positional relationship that a person has. But he enters into a second realm, or he, is, he lives in a second realm of experience. It's called fellowship. Now, now I want you to mark this down. Anybody in any church, any believer can become fleshly. Any believer can get out of fellowship with God. Any believer can live a life that is so much, so much resembles the life of a non-believer, you can actually, can't really tell the difference. Any Christian can become fleshly and carnal. Now, I think there's a New Testament illustration of that, and I'm not going to read the the uh, passages, but I want you to turn back to the 15th chapter of Luke because I want to show you the illustration of it. It's the story, it's the most familiar, the most popular parable, the most popular story that Jesus ever told. It's the story of the prodigal son. Now really there are prodigal sons in this, in this passage, in this story. The boy who went to the far country and the boy stayed at home. So it might be called the story of the parable, the parable of the prodigal sons. Now I understand that the heart, the main message of the parable of the prodigal son is to teach the heart of God, the love of God the Father. But I think it has other teachings and other truths. And I want to show you tonight how it illustrates how a believer, how a son... Now, I've heard this sermon preached from every angle. 
I've heard it preached that this was a lost person going uh, to the far country and the father received him back and he was saved. It does say he was lost and is found and, and dead and alive. But, but remember that these are sons that he's talking about here who left their father. And so I believe that the, that, that, that the germ, the idea, the truth is there of one who leaves the father and goes to the far country and lives a life of carnal living. I want to show you how it illustrates. You remember the story. The boy came to his father. He said, I want you to give me what is rightfully mine. And he took off to the far country with what was his. Everything was going just fine. There wasn't a sudden calamity when he left home. Everything was just fine for a while. Sometimes we think that, you know, when you... Uh, you drift away from God, nothing happens there. You know, God's not going to judge you. God's not going to bring you to an account, but that's not really right. It's because it doesn't happen suddenly. There wasn't a sudden calamity, but he went to the far country. And there he wasted his substance, his possessions in, 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 in loose living, in riotous living. And he began to be in need. I think it is the fruit of the carnal life. He began to be in need. He ran out of his possessions. He took a job uh, feeding the swine. You'd have to be a Jew to understand the degradation of just taking that job. It was the lowest form of employment. And he ran out of anything to eat, and so he ate the pods, the bitter husk that the, that the swine wouldn't even eat, the depths of the carnal life. One day he came to himself. He said this, Here I am living like this, and there's plenty to eat in the house of my father. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up and go to my father. Now, he didn't say, I'm going to get up and go back to church or back to the kitchen, the table, where there's plenty of food. He said, I'm going to my father. Now, it's the picture of one who had a relationship and fellowship with the father, but who left that relationship and that fellowship and wasted his life and became in need and want to the point that he had nothing. And he found the solution, I'm going back to my father. Uh, that, that's the answer to everything, I think. That's the answer to the need of a person's life, to the want in his life. I'm going to the father. He has the solution and the answer to it. I'm going to the father. When he got back, he didn't know how his father would accept him. This is what he said, get the robe and put on him. It's a symbol of authority. He said, bring the signet ring and put it on his finger. What that was, in essence, give him the visa card. Let him, let him have anything he wants. Well, when you put your, that signet ring down on the stamp, it, you, you got what the father had. Uh, it, it symbolized um, possession. Give him the visa card and let him have what he wants. He said, give him the sandals. That was the symbol of freedom. Slaves wore no shoes. That's why the Negro spiritual sings... All God's children got shoes. When you, when you come out of freedom, come out of bondage into freedom, you get sandals for your feet. He said, kill the fatted calf. Now, a few years ago, I lived out in West Texas where they raise a lot of cattle. This guy told me one day, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do um, for you, preacher. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fatten up a calf for you. He said, I've got a young um, calf. He said, I'm going to put it in a feedlot. Got your name on it. He said, we're just going to fatten that thing up and get a certain weight, a certain size. We'll kill it and I'll have it butchered at the locker and you'll have your meat down there. 
I used to put that calf in the feedlot and started fattening it up. He said, kill the fatted calf. What does that say to you? says the father knew that boy was going to come back. He wanted to be ready for him when he did. So he took a calf out of, out of that herd that he had on the hillside, put it in the feedlot, started fattening it up for the day when the son would return. Now, if you decide tonight to come back to the father, you won't have any problems with the father. What you will have is a problem with the elder brother. When I first came into this church, came to this church, somebody came forward and uh, rededicated his life gave his life to the Lord, returned to the Lord. Somebody was talking about that after it happened. Yeah, you know, they said, I wonder how long that'll last, that kind of thing. If you come back to the Lord, you won't have any problems with the father. You'll have some problems with the elder brother. Now, let me show you something about this boy. He heard all this celebration going on. He wondered what was happening. They said, well, this boy, your brother's come back. They're making a celebration for it. Let me give you... Let me give you a description now. You know what the carnal Christian is, uh, that we've, we've always uh, stereotyped him. He's the guy that goes away to the far country, wastes his living, and wastes his substance, and wastes his living, lives in the gutter. That's the carnal Christian as we know him. Let me show you a carnal Christian that stays at home. Let me show you a carnal Christian that goes to church every Sunday and is faithful. Let me show you one who is just as carnal as the boy who went to the far country, who is as faithful to the church as anybody can be faithful. It's this elder brother that stays behind. I want to tell you something. You don't have to live your life in the gutter to be carnal. You can be faithful in, in your service and witness and, and ministry in the church and be carnal through and through. See, that's what this boy is about. There are several characteristics of this legalistic carnal Christian. First is, he had no joy. He served his father, but he didn't like it. He had no joy in it. Is there any joy in your Christian life? The things you're doing for the Lord, is it out of the heart? Do you, do you enjoy it? Is there joy there? Or is it a matter of doing the duty? Second characteristic of a carnal Christian who stays at home, a legalist, is that he keeps a very rigid record. Now, this is what the boy said to his father. He said, I have kept every commandment of yours. You read that in the context. Read that in the story. He said, I have kept every one of your commandments. That's hard to really, that's really hard to believe, isn't it? And here's a boy who kept every commandment of his father. That's what he said. His father didn't challenge it. But who's going to keep a record? The legalist is the one that's going to keep a record. He's going to keep a very rigid record of himself and others, what he's done for the Lord. Does that describe anybody you know? Look at what I've done. You know, I check this off and I've done that. Third characteristic of a carnal legalist is that he has a vivid imagination. He said, well, this boy, this brother of mine wasted all of his substance with harlots. How did he know that? He had this vivid imagination. He had this kind of a paranoia that believed these things about others. Now, there's always been in every, in every family of God gross carnality. For some, it's that person who leaves the Father's house and wastes his life in sin. For others, it's that person who remains in the Father's house in rigid duty and legalism and hates every minute of it. 
which category do you fall in? The natural man, the spiritual man, or the carnal man? I see two applications. I'll hurry and give those. I've got two minutes, then I'm through. The first is this. I want you to hang in here with me on this. If there are those, if there is in our life the, the implication, the tendency, the propensity to carnality, there must be, there should be a crisis of cleansing. Now, with your Bible in hand, I want you to turn to the 13th chapter of the Gospel of John. I want to show you an interesting thing. John chapter 13. Now here's Jesus in the last night that He was on earth with His disciples and He's about to wash the disciples' feet. Now look at verse 6. And so He came to Simon Peter. He said to him, that is Simon said to, to, to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Now, what he was talking about, now you understand that what he was doing was literally washing their feet, but there's more to it than this. It's got to be more than that. He's talking about the... the the grime, the, the, the dirt of the daily walk. He's talking about the imperfection of the daily walk. And he's saying to Simon Peter, if you don't allow me to cleanse away the grime, the dirt, the imperfection of the daily walk, you have no part with me. That is, you can't have sweet fellowship with me. You can't live in fellowship with me. You can't have the spiritual life. Now watch. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not, he said, if that's the case, then not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So wash me all over if that's the case. Now, this is what Jesus said. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Now, what he's talking about in that second reference, when he talks about being washed, is the washing of regeneration the salvation. He's saying, when you've been saved one time, you don't need to be saved again. When you have been cleansed, washed by regeneration, you don't have to do that over and over again. You can't lose that. What you do need is the daily, the cleansing of the sin of the daily walk. Now, there might be some here tonight who, cannot, who are not in fellowship with the Lord because you need that crisis of cleansing from the daily walk, from the sin of the daily life. Now I, need you, I need you to ask yourself, as I ask myself, these questions. Have I been trusting God? Do you allow bitterness in your life? Are you harboring resentment against another child of God? Do you allow that which is unholy to live in you, to be in you? Are you allowing worldly affection and desire to go unchecked? 
If I regard iniquity in my, Lord, in my heart, he said, if I give iniquity an uncontested place, are you allowing worldly affection and desire to go uncontested in your life? Then you need that cleansing. Second, there must be the presentation of your bodies as a living sacrifice. The presentation of your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, there are three kinds of people here tonight. There are those who are called, could be classified as the natural man. You've never been saved. You're pre-Christian, pre-Christ. Jesus Christ has never come into your life. There are those of us tonight who are here that are called, could be classified as the spiritual man. You're living under the control of the Holy Spirit. You're living the fruits of the Spirit. There's an active and productive, fruitful life that is yours. You're living for Christ. Then there are those here tonight who are carnal. Some of you are carnal because you've left the Father and you've wasted your life away. Some of you are carnal because you're living a legalistic life that knows no joy, that keeps a record, has a vivid imagination. And what response does God want from your life? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the wonderful fellowship of worship, for the way you've spoken to our heart, how you've opened your word to us. Now it's time, Lord, we understand for response. Father, I pray for the natural man, for the lost man or woman or child that's here tonight. He will receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. I pray for those who are carnal, who are living under the domination of the old nature, who do not have the mind of Christ, whose lives are not productive and fruitful. I pray for repentance and confession, for cleansing, for return to the Father. Lord, I pray you'll get glory and honor from this invitation that we'll respond according to your will and purpose for us. Because I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Now, in the spirit of prayer, I'll ask you to stand and David will lead us in a song of invitation. We invite you to come while he leads our song.